Hi there and welcome to The Brave, a podcast all about resilience. I'm your host, Beth and Vincent, and in each episode I explore a different aspect of resilience, whether that's managing risk, dealing with adversity and overcoming the various challenges that modern day life likes to throw at us in our personal and professional lives. Now this week's episode is on a really interesting subject and one that I personally have experienced in my own professional and personal life, and that's burnout. And I have a guest on the show who's actually an expert in this space, Lucille, and she'll introduce herself properly. But it's a really fascinating chat we have about kind of what burnout is, how to spot it, and also how to kind of deal with it and manage it and make sure it's not a reoccurring event. So I'll jump straight into the interview and let Lucille introduce herself. I'm Lucille. Um, I am the founder of Leeds Wellbeing Week and director of MindIt. And today I want to talk about burnout, specifically occupational burnout. Yeah, and it's a topic that's really in the press at the moment. It's getting a lot of exposure. So thank you so much for coming on the show. It's going to be a really, really interesting one. So I want to start out by asking you, what do you mean by occupational burnout? What exactly is it? So occupational burnout, in my opinion, is caused by doing too much, uh, being really busy all the time. And the result is um, exhaustion. When you feel really tired and one day your body stops, um, your brain keeps going really fast and very often it happens to people who are um, who have high expectations for themselves, who have a whole lot of responsibilities and just, just, just doing so much that one day the body says, um, no, we're not doing this anymore. Let's just um, stop and pause for a minute. So the exhaustion is physical, but also mental and emotional. And what are the symptoms people should look out for? Because there's kind of being stressed and working really hard and then burnout yeah. seems to be a little bit more extreme than that. Yeah, the, it's, the symptoms are the same as the symptoms of stress, really. Um, it's just long-term stress. So if you feel that you feel you felt stressed for a little while more than two weeks in a row without having any quiet time or any time any restful time then it probably it probably is um a um, red flag and you might want to see someone or ask around um or just take some few days off in order just to to get your body to rest so the signs can be lack of sleep uh weird things happening in your body having tensions in the neck in the shoulders any type of ache backache belly ache all the same same signs as the signs of stress but they just last a little longer and if you don't treat them straight away, potentially you might need to take a long time off. Mm. And I know you, you haven't always been in kind of the burnout space. And before this, you had a career doing something completely different. So could you talk a little bit about how you came to working in this field? Sure. Um, I was a marketing director in Paris before. French, I think my accent is already <laughs> showing this. <laughs> Um, I loved my job, absolutely loved it, uh, probably too much. I was working six to seven days a week for a few years and um, 
at some point, I think I was, it was just the norm. So I was not resting at all. When my husband got the job opportunity in Leeds, my only option was to quit because I was exhausted. Had I, had I taken care of myself a little bit more, potentially I would have explored the grey zones between staying in Paris or quitting fully and uh, starting your career in Leeds, um, maybe working remotely or uh, working part-time with them would have been a solution because I still love what they do and the job that I did for them. I was just on my way to burnout and when I arrived in Leeds and realized what had happened or what I just was just about to happen I started the business to do burnout prevention um, because the costs of burnout are really high in terms of health so the physical and mental health of the person who experienced it but also in terms of um, happiness the impact they can have on the family on the friends on the colleagues around and then the third impact is a negative impact on the business overall because when you're off sick for burnout, you're not off sick for a few days, you need quite a lot of time to recover, uh, usually three to four months. Wow. And the other, the other thing is that when you suffer from burnout once, you're more likely to suffer from it twice or three times if the, what caused the burnout is not solved which means being busy all the time if there's no change implemented then you're more likely to experience it again and do you think there is an increasing level of burnout in organizations or has it been something that's been around for a long time but we're just talking about it more I think it's increasing. Um, sadly, the the figures from 2015 was that 50% of UK full-time workers experience anxiety and stress at work, leading for some people to burn out if it's not solved properly. Um, I think now there's the, the, the main element is that there is a pride around being busy. Mm. if you agree with me on that yeah no totally I've seen that before yeah there's a big pride around being busy in French we say I'm under the water and when you come at 9 p.m at a dinner party because you come straight for work there's a little bit of pride when you say that you're you have so many responsibilities and you're so busy that's why you're late um so the it will remain that way if we keep if we remain in this culture of working hard versus working smart. I think that's the shift that needs to happen, and that's the work that I do with um, some some of my clients. Is about how can we change the culture of the company so that we go from hardworking people to smart working people who are going to focus on productivity rather than long hours of work. And I think it's really interesting, this focus on productivity over hours put in, because as we're moving away from doing kind of menial jobs, task based jobs, like working in a factory where the amount of time you put in does have a positive correlation on the output. And we're moving more towards, they call it imagination workers, where we're using our creativity, you know, all of these kind of meta skills, I guess, every day. And do you think those are kind of less dependent on the amount of time you put in? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's just a matter. Of, we, there are a few studies now talking about the four working days week. Um, yes. About how when you give people the option, when you give people the time and the flexibility, the productivity levels increase. Um, it's just about it. Of course, it doesn't work with any type of industry and any type of organization. You need to have the culture. You need to have the processes in place for it to work properly. Um, however, I think it's just a matter of knowing that it is there. The new thing apparently is to have limited holidays. Oh yeah, I've heard a lot about that. I work in tech, so that's kind of a big buzz at the moment. Yeah, um, I'm not sure about it. I'm really looking forward to seeing what's behind it. Um, because when you have limited holidays, if you do your job properly, then are you entitled to take a f- five weeks or six weeks per year? Is that the minimum? Or do you have so much work that actually you can't even take one week because the projects keep coming in? Yeah, I think it was, yeah, it was GitLab or someone like that. They had unlimited holiday, but what they were finding was no one was taking it. Yeah. Because people were so kind of worried about the, like almost getting permission to do it and they felt like they didn't have permission. So they introduced a minimum. So you have to take two weeks every year regardless. Absolutely. That's uh, a big thing. The the word that you just used, permission, is one of the main things that we encounter with our clients talking about um, health and well-being at work. Uh, because some companies would do some health and well-being programs with a lot of activities and workshops and trainings. But if people don't see the managers taking part, or as if you take a much simpler example of taking the lunch break off, just being off work for 45 minutes, they don't think that they're allowed to do so. So even though you communicate on have a lunch break, uh, you have this training or this workshop available to you, if the uh, hierarchy is not doing it, then potentially uh, the people would not embrace it because they don't think that they have the permission. So it's key that the whole organization um, buys in and is on board with all the health and well-being options that are available. And if, um, because I'd like to explore kind of what individuals can do to reduce the risk of burnout, but speaking to organisations, what are some tips that they can kind of enact to reduce burnout amongst their staff? So the two main things is to spot the signs as soon as possible. Uh, If you see someone working long hours and uh, being always on, never off, someone that might check the emails even though they have time off, even though they are on um, holidays. Uh, that's, to me, that's a, that's a red flag, that someone might feel that the business is not going to run without him or without her. Uh, because when you have occupational burnout, very often you feel indispensable. Yeah. So if someone never turns or never switches off, that's, to me, that's a red flag. And then all the other si- signs of stress people being looking or being really tired 
and as a consequence um, having uh, potentially abusive behaviors or um, change in moods, change in behavior. Uh, to me, this, these are the signs. And then after that, after having spotted the signs, the second step is to be able to start the conversation, be able to uh, ask people, uh, are you okay? Is anything that I can do for you? What's going on at work? What's going on, what's going on at home? And how can I support? Um, because the people who are likely to burn out are perfectionists very often, and they might not ask for help. So if you go and reach out to them, uh, you're more likely to um, support them in whatever they're going through at the moment. That's really simple. Anyone could do yeah. that, couldn't they? Any size of organisation. Absolutely. There's nothing complicated, but it's just about making sure that the staff, the team, the people are equipped that to spot the signs and then to, and that they feel comfortable and safe to start the conversation. And if someone asks them if they're okay, then to open up. They feel safe enough to open up. And is this kind of wrapped in with the whole creating a, a culture of kind of authenticity? I don't like that word, but I guess in this sense, it means kind of bringing your whole self to work, being yourself at yeah. work. Yeah. Um, I think I'd rather say culture of integrity, making sure that you're your whole self, but you're also your true self, that you don't wear your work mask and then leave it uh, behind you whenever you leave the office. Um, integrity, but also um, empathy is another key word. Um, trying to understand and be aware about what's your what your colleagues are going through uh what is happening at the moment potentially at home uh, that might make them less productive and it's okay because we all humans we're not robots yet so <laughs> it's important that uh yeah companies build this culture of authenticity but also integrity and empathy Mm. And to flip this around, so if let's say you're a person, you're working in an organisation where you feel this pressure to be on 24-7, what can you do to avoid burnout? So there are two things and they're also really simple. Um, the first one is me time and the second one is rest. Mm. Um, so me time um, can feel really challenging because you have a lot going on and you don't think that you have time. But we all have 24 hours during one day and you don't need to have a two hours block to go to the gym. You can do what I call power moments, uh, just five to ten minutes me time throughout the day. It can be closing your eyes in front of the computer uh, for five minutes and you can put an alarm so that for five minutes you rest your brain and your body. It can be just doing one thing at a time. When you drink your coffee, you drink your coffee. You're not checking emails, you're not checking social media. Drinking a coffee is five minutes maximum, uh, depending on the size of the coffee, obviously. <laughs> But it's not really long and it enables you to uh, relax your brain. If it feels really challenging, um, 
one thing that you might want to think about is uh, recovery. You need to recover in order to perform. It's the same as athletes. Um, they need to recover, have recovery time before they would go for the race. It's the same in life. We need to make sure that we have these small recovery periods all throughout the day so that we can perform whenever we're working. So five minutes break, closing the eyes, um, going for a walk around the block, calling a friend, doing something that is not work for just five minutes at least three times a day is a start. And then the second one is rest, uh, making sure that you sleep enough. And it is a very challenging one because we try to push back the time we go to bed and we try to get up earlier. But again, talking about this recovery performance thing, you need to make sure that you recover so that you can perform the day after. So it's minimum seven hours that is uh, recommended. And if you need to get up at six, it means that you need to be asleep at 11. So we would advise to start unwinding by 10 p.m. So one hour before the bedtime. Uh, when I say unwind is uh, ideally no screen because the blue light is brain stimulation and doing something that makes you relax before bed. So obviously no work. That's good advice. And... I'm just going back to the example of you're working in an organisation. Let's say you're trying to do all of this really simple. You know, I love it. It's really easy. Again, anyone can do it. Stuff in your life, but you're still finding that work is pressuring you to put in those long hours. Can you have a conversation with your manager? Is that something you can bring up and just say, I think these expectations are on me are too high or I'm really struggling. Is there a best way of doing that? Um, the best way is to talk about it absolutely whenever um, it is challenging for yourself uh, if you start to open up you might realize that you're not the only one and very often the pressure that you manager puts on yourself and your team is also put by someone um, above him or above her so it definitely starting talking about it is the first step and um, the second step is, I would say, if it's possible, to start leading by example, to start taking those five minutes break and then take a colleague with you and then take two colleagues with you and then talk about the benefits that it has and show that your performance has not decreased by you taking those little breaks. So starting a conversation and leading by examples are the two first steps I would go for. Mm, that's brilliant, thank you. So this is a question I ask everyone who comes on the show. Okay. It's what is the most challenging thing you've been through, whether that's personal, professional, that you are happy to talk about on this show? The most challenging thing, um, it's a happy one, but at the beginning was a little bit panicky one, <laughs> was um, finding out I was pregnant three months after starting the business. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Which was not really planned, but life has um, interesting turnarounds sometimes. And um, I acted, so at the beginning, it was uh, a little bit of panic. I was thinking I should have stayed in a proper job what people call a proper job 
just to feel secure. Um, but then the first feeling that I had was happiness. So I knew it was the right thing uh, to keep doing the two, baby and business. Mm. Uh, for a few, for a little while, I called them the three B, balanced baby <laughs> business. Love it. <laughs> um, and now my daughter is born. She's now 11 months. Um, her name is Joyce and she brings us a lot of joy. And actually, I think that she helped my business by forcing me to be productive whenever I can work, uh, to be highly focused on what is the most urgent and the most important, and also to make sure that I divide work and non-work activities so that I am with her when I'm with her and I'm working when I'm working. I tried to do baby and business at the same time for a few months when she was between three and six months old and it brought a lot of frustration and a lot of guilt because I was doing everything half, uh, not being fully with Joyce, not being fully working. So luckily I spot the sign I spotted the sign quite quickly and I realized that it was not working for my own well-being for herself either and for the business either so um, now she goes to nursery a few days a week and I know that whenever she's there um, I work full on and but when I'm with her at least I do activities with her and it works at the moment and that goes back to your advice about compartmentalizing your time and focusing on one thing when you're doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Talk from experience, because I was um, really trying to do everything at the same time, and it it just didn't work. The like these three months were really, really challenging, and I think it's also something uh, that it, it's this ideal image of the mom entrepreneur or the mompreneur, which is a really trendy hashtag on Instagram. Uh, but it, it might work, for, and I'm sure it works for a few moms, for many, for many moms. Uh, but for me, with the business I have, it was not working. And half of my brain was taken by, is Joe's going to wake up whenever I have this call or... Where am I gonna? Who is gonna take care of her? And then I, I had, I didn't have enough mental space to take care of the rest. Um, so the solution that we found was uh, for her to go to nursery. She loves it. I love it. So now it's much better. But it was a really challenging time discovering that I was pregnant and then making sure that I made the reasonable adjustments uh, for. <laughs> the two of us to be happy uh, with this. Well, it sounds like you've come to a really great place where it's not even a compromise, it's just a solution that works. So that's really yeah. awesome. And the second question I ask everyone who comes on the show is, what does resilience mean to you? Building resilience is um, building a way of dealing with whatever life throws at you um, in a positive way. That's how I would define it. Mm, that's nice. I like that. So thank you for having me. Um, if you want to find out more about well-being in the workplace, 
the company is called MindIt. Uh, the website is www.mind-it.co.uk. We do lunch and learns workshops. We do training and we also do consultancy to support companies with a health and well-being strategy. Thanks so much for listening and thanks so much to Lucille for a really interesting and informative discussion. I got a lot from that and listening back there are lots of tips that I was thinking, you know, wow, I really need to implement this in my own life. So I really hope you got something from it as well. If you want to find out more about the podcast and what I'm up to, you can follow us on Twitter at The Brave Listen. You can also email us as well at thebrave at bethandvincent.com. And if you fancy sharing your story of resilience and coming on the show, I am always looking out for interesting people who have overcome various challenges. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a massive thing. It doesn't have to be a huge event. It can just be something that you deal with day to day that you push through. And it would be great to hear from you and have you on the show. So until next time, I'll leave you there and I hope you have a fabulous week. <laughs>